Good to be back in the house of the Lord. Appreciate the word that we've already heard. Let's take our Bibles, if you will, and turn to John's Gospel, chapter 19. Verse 25, 26, and 27. Certainly humbled to uh, be a part of this meeting. Uh, I know some of you are thinking, why in the world does he have him preach every morning? <laughs> a lot better preachers here than him. You say, how do you know we're thinking that? Because I think that. <laughs> Brother Rick is so gracious. Uh, he told me the reason why he had me. He said, uh, Brother Dana, the reason why, the only reason why I had you is you're such an encouragement to all the preachers. I said, really? He said, yeah, they figure if you can do it, anybody can. <laughs> So I guess that's the way it is. Someone asked me one day, he said, why don't you preach on marriage sometime? We have all these preachers preaching. Somebody need to preach on marriage. I said, well, I did a marriage retreat, one, just one. In my whole ministry, I only did one. It turned out all right. We got down at the end of it. My wife testified. She said, I'm glad this thing's over with. And finally, we can get back to normal. <laughs> we hadn't been fussing and, you know, all that other stuff. But I'm glad for the word that's been preached. That strengthens our hearts. I've been emphasizing this matter of one more. Uh, you know, in um, Luke chapter number 15, we never got there, but it... The emphasis there is this matter of one more. The trilogy of that parable is that the shepherd has 99 sheep, but he, he said, no, I, there's one more that is lost. And, of course, the, uh, the lady who has the nine pieces of silver, uh, but there was one more to that piece of which she's sweeping to get. And then the father has two sons, One's gone. There's one more. As I've emphasized, it's not just about you and I. Thank God you're here and I'm here. But realize the Lord is out to touch and reach the one more. And as long as the church is here, there will be one more to reach. And whether it's one more in worship or one more in grace... But I want to take a step further and sort of plug in to where our previous speaker was preaching. And uh, I want to preach on the birth of sacrifice. The birth of sacrifice. Not only the birth of worship, the birth of grace, but the birth of sacrifice. Because it is here in these three verses, the whole sitting emphasizes this matter of sacrifice. But of course, God's people are called to be people of sacrifice. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, Amen. holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And it is here that we see our great sacrifice, which is Christ. And the Bible said, put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, that eternal sacrifice. But what we understand is, if God ever does any saving, he does it through sacrifice. Amen. It begins with the sacrifice of, him, of his son. But yet in our text, we're going to notice that he draws our attention, he gets the attention of his mother Mary. And in doing so, what we understand is, is that 
not only up to this time, but I want to say even up until this hour, I know no one who sacrificed any more for the cause of her son, for the cause of Christ, for the cause of the kingdom than his mother did. He's letting her know when he gets her attention that not only is he on her heart, but she is on his heart. And I want to magnify her sacrifices. Then he turns to John, and this is where this birth of the sacrifice takes place. He's not going to do this sacrifice out of sentiment. He's not going to do it because he feels sorry for Mary. But it is from the position of the cross He hears the Savior speak to him and say, will you sacrifice for me? He's inviting him into the sacrifice. But let's look at it, and I'll mention three or four things. The Bible said in verse number 25, now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, and we know this to be John the beloved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then he saith to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, notice this, that disciple took her unto his own home. Let me just mention some things about this birth of sacrifice. First of all, I want to concentrate on Jesus' mother, Mary. It's almost as if in the midst of his great sacrifice, if we could say it cautiously, he pushes pause to get her attention. And in doing so, he brings her to my attention and to your attention. I want to say to you that I am not of the Catholic persuasion. I do not believe that we ought to pray to Mary or to pray through Mary. Mary needed a Savior as we all do. It just happened to be her son. But yet on the other hand, I do not want to overlook nor neglect the sacrifices that were that was in her life. And to ponder this for a moment in a personal way. If Jesus is going to stop in his own sacrifice to recognize her and her sacrifices, wouldn't it be well every now and then if we could push pause in our own lives and recognize those who have sacrificed for us? He is ascending back to the throne, but he wants her to know that he has not forgotten her. And he will make sure that though he's not there, she will be taken care of. I want to look at her sacrifice for Christ. Let us meditate on this for a moment. I think she sacrificed with what I would call birthing pains. Uh, She's no different than any other woman in that when Christ was born, she went to the doors of death to bring him into this world as every mother has. Each one of us that represent life that is here today, someone had to go to that door of death that you might be alive and that you might be living. It was birthing pains for this baby just like every mother goes through. I, uh, in my 30s, set out on a pursuit to find my mother. As you know, she left when I was a year and a half old, never set eyes on her. But I was not going to try to find her that I could ask questions or say why. I wanted to embrace this woman and kiss her on the cheek and say thank you for being the vessel that God used to bring me into this world. Those birthing pains that that mother goes through. But not only the birthing pains did she sacrifice in, there were the growing pains of which he turned from a baby into a boy. Those were those confusing times. Now it's in this instant that she's different than all 
of us as parents. You see, we as parents have something in common with our children, and that is we're both imperfect. And uh, when these children come along, we got no idea how to raise them. They don't have any idea how to be raised. So we learn as we go, imperfect. Someone said we spend the first seven years of a child's life trying to keep them from killing themselves. But the truth of the matter is Mary is different in that she's an imperfect woman because she's born of Adam as all of us are. But she's raising the only perfect child that's ever been raised. It has fallen her lot to be the mother of the son of God. And how she felt about that and sometimes how troubled and confused is, is illustrated in which uh, they had been to uh, Jerusalem for the celebrated days. They're going back home and they lose sight of Jesus. And uh, of course they go back on a three-day uh, journey trying to find the Son of God and they find him in the temple and he's teaching and instructing the doctors and the lawyers. And she says to him, why have you, did, why, why have you done this? <laughs> and he answers back as a 12-year-old boy, I must be about my father's business. In other words, she's going through the birthing pain. She's always, she's always having to adjust to these growing pains. But it is here in our text in verse 25, 26, and 27 that She's going through the greatest grief that any mother or father can go through. My wife and myself have discussed it often. I pastored 22 years, been in evangelism 20 years. And uh, to us, uh, the greatest and deepest sorrow that we have seen to have witnessed, thank God we have not had to experience it, is that of a mother who loses a daughter in death or a father who loses a son or vice versa as far as the children. We're none prepared to lose our children. We pray that we will go first. But it is here on this cross that she is watching as her son is being crucified. Now John is at her side. The other disciples are aware that he's being crucified, but... They don't know why. They have not expected it. Jesus has tried to prepare them. He said, if you'll tear this temple down three days, I'll bring it up again. As Jonah was in the belly of the well three days and three nights, even so must the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. But they could not grasp that. And uh, they were so much in turmoil when they realized that they had given up everything to follow the one they called master. They had left behind everything to follow the one that they called Lord. They had supposed and believed and rightly so that he would be king and they saw it as imminent. They thought that he would dethrone uh, the Roman government and dispel uh, religion and he himself would rule and reign and, and uh, so that was what was in their hearts. They could not explain why this was taking place, that their Lord, their master, their king was being crucified. But I say to you, there is a difference also here between all of those disciples and Mary. Yes, it was her Lord that was being crucified. It was her king that was being crucified. It was her teacher that was being crucified. It was her master that was being crucified. But deeper than that, this was her son that was being crucified. So marred that she could not recognize him with the crown of thorns and the meat that has been jerked from his back with the cat and nine tails. This is her child. And I say to you that she is sacrificing greatly. No one to this time and probably no one even to this day has sacrificed any more than what Mary did for Jesus. And he's not going to leave this world but what he lets her know because she's one of only two people that he recognizes at the foot of the cross. He wants her to know how he feels about her sacrifice. 
The Bible said, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and your labor of love. Can I say unto you, children, there are times when he will get your attention out of the blue and hasn't he often in one way or another by letting you know that he is appreciative and thankful for what you're doing for the kingdom's sake and he's not overlooking it. He is blessed by our sacrifices. Mary sacrificed as a mother. She sacrificed in his ministry. From the day of his baptism, when you read of it, she's with these other ladies that are constantly ministering to these disciples. I say to you, she gave not only her heart, but she gave her hands. She sacrificed in his conception. She sacrificed even in his rejection. Her lot was one of great sacrifice. Mind, body, spirit, and soul. There are those verses that let it surface as to how she felt in this relationship with her son. Luke 1, 29 said she was troubled Luke 2, 19 said she pondered these thoughts in her heart. Again in Luke 2, the Bible said his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. You remember when they took Jesus up to be dedicated and, and Simeon made prophecy as to the outcome of this child and yet he turned to that mother and he said, yea, and a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also. Jesus is letting her know that not only, as I say, is he on her heart, and that is evident, but she is on his heart, letting us recognize her great sacrifices. And if he's going to push pause before he leaves this world to recognize his mother and her sacrifices, shouldn't we take time in our lives to push pause and turn to those who have sacrificed to make us who we are and bring us to where we are and say thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your giving. Thank you for your loving. Thank you for your preaching. Thank you. Where would any of us be physically? Where would any of us be spiritually had someone not been used of God to sacrifice for the kingdom of God on our behalf? We could take this meeting right here this morning to make application. Someone came early and turned the lights on. You didn't see it. I didn't see it, but can I say thank you? Someone during the course of the day got the vacuum cleaner out and neatened up the place. You didn't see it, I didn't see it, but can I say thank you? Someone has been busy taking care of the grounds. You didn't see it, I didn't see it, but can I say thank you? Can I say that we have all enjoyed the music uh, that has taken place here this week. You'd have to be an evangelist to appreciate good music. Uh, A good while back I was preaching the meeting and the only music they had is a dear elderly lady played the organ music for 15 minutes before I preached. Now I got nothing against organ music, I love it, but she worked for the funeral home. Brothers and sisters, it was dead when I got up. So I appreciate this lively singing. But do you know that those who play these instruments, these guitars, the bass or whatever, I'll say the piano, they don't just wake up one morning and say, you know, I think I'll play the piano and they get on it and they play it. They start out as young people most of the time, a young lady, a young man. 
And they'll hit one key at a time and they'll hit one note at a time and then they'll come to one chord at a time until finally they're so thrilled that they've got one song at a time. But what their intention is is they've labored when no one else knew that they were laboring and they did that because they wanted, they saw themselves to be able to be a blessing to the church when they came and played that song and then another song and then another song until when we come as Brother Daniel Waters has been playing and singing so blessedly, we do not know the many hours he has spent. The thousands of hours laboring in these instruments, can we just push pause in our worship and say, hey, thank you for the sacrifice. One more sacrifice to minister to the bride, to the believers, to the church. As we all know, a lot of folks, their idea about preaching is you wake up one morning craving fried chicken. And you don't want to go to work. But every preacher knows, whatever saint ought to know, is that you can't just look at this book and point in and say, eeny, meeny, mighty, mo, I'll get a verse and let us go. But that word has to be birthed in you. Because you want God to speak to your heart so you can take to the people and speak to their hearts and and God can use that and you can help them. I mean, there's a lot of labor when that Sunday school teacher teaches that class, when that preacher preaches, I tell you, in those services of that evangelist. Can we not pause and say to all of those that are serving us on every level, this service could not be. Have there not been some sacrifices? Thank you. And I say to us that are pastors, there's no way we could do what we're doing had there not been those in the congregation that have been sacrificing. Those who have been out and they have worked their 40 hours, their 50 hours, some 60 hours, and they've taken that in obedience to the Lord and they brought their tithes and they've given to missions and they did all that they can do as it's been done here this morning. Can't we just every now and then stop and say, hey, this would not be if it were not for you. Can I not say thank you? What I realize when I step into the church and I preach, I'm just coming one week out of the year, but honey, none of that would not would be if it was not for those who have been keeping things going for the whole year in worshiping God and serving God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Jesus from the cross is getting his mother's attention. He's not going home, but what he lets her know, his appreciation for her, sacrifices and while I will not elevate her I will not make her equal to Jesus or any of that foolish thing Those foolish, when I get to heaven I'll hug that little uh, woman's neck and say thank you for the sacrifices for the kingdom of heaven's sake you birthed my savior into this world points out her sacrifice. But if he does any saving, they're going to have to be sacrificed. The second thing I would have you to notice is that he turns to John. Now he says to her, woman, behold thy son. Then he says to the disciple, behold thy mother. Now you and I know that Physically, John is not Mary's son and Mary is not John's mother. But what is happening here is is while Jesus is being sacrificed from the cross, and by the way, if he ever speaks to you about sacrifice, he'll speak to you from the perspective of the cross, from the view of his sacrifice. While he's there hanging between heaven and earth, so marred as I say, he turns to John and in the midst of his sacrifice, 
He's simply saying unto John when he says to him, will you take care of Mary? He's saying, John, I'm going home. John, I'm going back to the Father. God, I'm going to sit down at the right hand. I need somebody's hands to take care of my mother. I need somebody's eyes to watch out after my mother. I need somebody's ears to hear from my mother. I need somebody's heart to love my mother. What I want to ask you, John, is will you come into this sacrifice with me by doing what I will not be able to do and take care of my mother? Isn't it a blessing to be able to sacrifice with Christ? To be invited into the sacrifice is what he is asking him to do. Now we know well in the New Testament and all of the miracles that Jesus performed, he seemed to involve someone else. I mean, if he's going to raise Jairus' daughter from the dead, he says to them, now you feed her. You don't think he could have fed her? If he's standing at the tomb of Lazarus, just prior to raising him from the dead, he says to the crowd there, roll the stone away. Now if I would have been there probably with my inquisitive mind, I would have scratched my head and said, you mean you can raise him but you can't move the stone away? And then when he calls him out, he says to those that are there, loose him and let him go. If he's going to break bread He's going to use others to deliver that bread to the multitude. And can I say to you, as it was then, so it is now. What he wants to do with all of his children, every single one of us, he wants to invite you into his sacrifice. He wants to let you be a part of it. What good is it if you can't be in it and a part of it? Could you imagine a few days after Lazarus is raised from the dead and I can hear him in the community talking and saying, oh, you hear about up there, up there at uh, Bethany? They, they, do you know that Lazarus is up there? They said he died and they said that, that that Messiah raised him from the dead. And I can see one of them boys standing beside and said, well, duh, I was the one who rolled the stone away. <laughs> Woo! How oh, did you hear that he took five loaves and two fishes and fed a multitude of, of 5,000 men, not counting women and children? Guess I was 25,000. Yeah, I know all about it. I carried the bread. I was a part of it. As a matter of fact, let me make this statement. If you're not putting anything into it, you ain't going to get anything out of it. I'll tell you, it becomes real to you when you can be a part of the sacrifice, when it costs you something. I'll tell you, when you've got to lay something on the then you'll appreciate it. See, if you don't pray for a meeting like this and you don't give in a meeting like this, you're not putting into a meeting like this. You're not doing any vacuuming. You're not turning any lights on. That's why... Folks can go to church and keep their eye on the watch. They don't have anything invested. They can criticize everything going on. They put nothing into it. They're not expecting to get anything out of it. Oh, honey, if you put something into it and you come to the house of God, you're not looking at your watch. You're saying, oh, God, move on the man. I've been praying for him. Move on your people. I bait you. Save that sinner. I love you, Lord. I want you to do something. Aren't we blessed to be a part of what he's doing? He said, now, John, you can't do this, but you can do this. You can be a part of the sacrifice. So he recognizes, I'm talking about this matter of one more sacrifice. He's looking for one more sacrifice. I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm going to get it. 
He recognizes his mother and we know her sacrifices. He invites John into the sacrifice. Now I want to preface my third thought by supposing that people in John's day are probably like people in our day. And there's always that one man or that one woman that something's happening eating them up because they can't figure it out. And I'm just supposing that there is a guy, and I'm sure there probably was, because there's probably one here. <laughs> that I can, I can see him going to somebody, and I, I can see him say, how you doing, Brother John, man? I, I love you. Good, good to see you. I was going to ask you a question. Now, ain't none of my business. I know that. <laughs> I just between me and you. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed how John and his wife's taking care of Jesus' mama. I think they're even having to build onto their house. Now, it's all right for me if they want to do it, but do you know she's got two more boys? James and Jude, big time evangelists around here preaching everywhere. And I don't know why they can't do it. I wonder why they don't take care of her. I mean, they wasn't there when he heard from the cross. They wasn't there when he heard what Jesus had to say while he was dying on that cross. They didn't know Jesus had invited him into the sacrifice. But I'm going to tell you, they got to figure all that out. Ain't you got some of those folks that just got to get to the bottom of it? I got to get to the bottom of it. And he's pretty sure that John feels the same way. Him and John's on the same page. Yeah, they're on the same page. So you know what he's going to do? He's going to finally, he's got to do it. He's got to get around and and get into John and see if that's... Hey, Brother John, how you doing? Man, I know she built on your house there. Is that for Mary? You built that for Mary? I saw y'all out at the grocery store the other day, you and your wife out there with her. Y'all taking care of her full time? Wow, that's, that's big. Eh? I mean, that's something, I don't know if I could do that or not. But I was going to ask you something. You know, her two boys, they ever come and get her on the weekend? <laughs> I mean, are they giving you some of that big money from them big offerings? Now, I mean, I ain't, I'm now, John, I'm, it ain't none of my business. I know, and I don't want to mingle in nobody else's business. But, but and here's, here's, here's the phrase that I'm, I'm getting at. Here's my phrase about sacrifice. I can hear them coming down and saying, and they're supposing that it, that's a, John's feeling just like they are, man. They do, they're going to help him out by, you know, sharing with him the same feeling. But here, here's, here's how they come out with that. They, they say, John, that's, that's just, that's, that's too big a sacrifice. Yeah, yeah. That's a too big a sacrifice. No, it's just too big a sacrifice. And if he ever missed it, he missed it. Because I can see John's eyes lighting up. And I can see him stand up. He'd say, nobody. You're wrong. I hadn't even thought of that. Because he said, now here's my phrase, here's my phrase. Compared to what I saw on that cross. But compared to that blood I saw flowing down, compared to those hands that were nailed there, compared to that crown of thorns, compared to that, this is no sacrifice at all. He's recognizing Mary's sacrifice. He's invited John into the sacrifice. But if you ask John, he's going to tell you, no sacrifice at all compared to him. Then he could venture on beyond that and he could say, well, now you know that James had his head cut off. This ain't no sacrifice compared. You know Stephen was stoned to death. This ain't no sacrifice compared to that. And all of the martyrs down through the years, he could have said, this is no sacrifice compared to that. And do you know since the rise of ISIS, they tell us that there have been thousands of Christians killed every year. I want you to know I will not speak for you. And I will not underestimate your sacrifice because there's many of you here who have sacrificed greatly. But I must speak for myself and I must say that compared to all, to his sacrifice and to all of those who have sacrificed before me and all of those who sacrificed for me, I am sacrificing none at all. 
Don said, oh boy, you, you might as well forget that. This is no sacrifice at all. You know, being an evangelist has its ups and downs. But it's not much of a sacrifice. Because I want to say to you, and I want to report to these young people, and I mean this with a whole heart. I'm in 60 to 70 churches a year. No, hundreds, hundreds. Of preachers. 99, now listen to what I'm telling you. 0.9% of all the preachers that I have ministered for, I believe, are men of God who are doing their best to serve God. Now, I don't know, maybe He just put me with a special bunch. But I'm telling you, I've been blessed to be friends yes. of God's great men. Amen. And they are the greatest. Amen. And I thank God for Amen. them. My sacrifice is to get in the pickup on the passenger side while my wife pulls that fifth wheel down the road. And I'm over there in deep meditation and prayer. <laughs> and then I get to the church and they'll take me by the hand and they say, oh, we're so glad you're here. I'm so glad, appreciate you coming and being with me. Now they may be lying, but that's what they say. And then I get up and I spit and I holler and I scream. And in the midst of everything, I don't say anything that hadn't already been said. No need for an evangelist to get too proud. I'm going to tell you, there ain't but three or four things that you ought to be saying. Somewhere I may choose a different text, a different passage, but somewhere I'm going to touch on the death, the burial, the resurrection, the life of Christ, and the second coming. And if you get out of those bounds, you've missed it anyhow. And all I do is spend the whole week telling them what they already know, and they amen it. And then when I leave, they'll cry and say, would you come back next year and tell us again what we already know? I ain't figured it out and I ain't going to try to. The worst thing that happens to me in a meeting is every preacher I'm with wants to eat. A lot. And I love to eat. A lot. I was in one meeting and I told him, I said, now this week I'm just going to eat a child's portion. Guy pulled a gun on me. He said, no, you're not. You're going to eat a bunch. I thought about calling the law. I said, well, I'll wait until after dessert. <laughs> I'm not minimizing, mamas, your sacrifice. Some of you have been to the door of death with a husband, with a son, with a daughter. I do not know that grief. And I, I am not minimizing Mary's suffering and sacrifice. I'm simply saying unto you, compared to him and others, I have paid no sacrifice. He recognizes her sacrifice. He invites John into the sacrifice. But yet it's no sacrifice at all. But the last thing that I would emphasize, one more sacrifice. I notice what uh, Paul said uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 10. Always bearing about in my body the dying of the Lord Jesus. What? It's talking about sacrifice. Why? That the life also of Jesus might be manifested in my body. Understand what I'm saying to you. If God does any saving, he does it through sacrifice. The great sacrifice of his son. But that has already been so wondrously preached. His cross is not the only cross. 
He said, take up your cross. And here's the thing about it. His cross that he died on was 2,000 years ago. But we are in 2019. How under God's heaven is people in 2019 going to be able to look back 2,000 years and understand and see that cross? I'm going to tell you how. They're going to see that cross in your life and in my life. And there's one thing that speaks of sacrifice louder than anything else in your life, and that is sacrifice. There is one thing in your life that will say cross louder than anything else, and it is a cross that you bear. And what he wants, yes, he has sacrificed and paid all the cross, all the cross, but he wants one more sacrifice to carry the message of his sacrifice so others can understand the sacrifice, the saving aspect of his sacrifice. If they do not see sacrifice in you, don't expect them to ever appreciate the sacrifice that he gave. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Yes. Yes. You see, there's one, only one answer for John taking care of his mother. He's not being sentimental. He's not saying, well, you know, she's getting old. Ah, she ain't got no money. After all, nobody else is going to do it. No. There's only one answer. If you were to go to his wife and say to her, why did John bring Mary to here for y'all to take care of? And she'd look at you and say, the cross. Yes. Yes. The cross. If, if you had any children and you got them aside and you said, hey, hey son, how come your mom and daddy's let Mary, uh, Jesus' mother, move in? They'd say, well, uh, uh, daddy, daddy, it's cause of the cross. And all the people that began to know them, if you ask them, why did you do it? If you ask John, he would have only one answer. The only reason why I do it is because of his sacrifice that I sacrifice. There is a saving aspect of sacrifice in your life. Let me say it this way. Husband, what is at least one thing in your life that if someone's to ask your wife, why in the world's Bill do that? And she'd look and say, the cross. Amen. Lady, what is the one thing in your life that if someone was to ask your, uh, ask, uh, ask your wife why, or, or vice versa, why do they do that? And they would say, the only answer I have is the cross. <laughs> I mean... The sacrifice that John is making with Mary says everything you need to know about the cross. Because when John looks into Mary's eyes, he sees the cross. When Mary looks into John's eyes, she sees the cross. And everybody sees John and Mary together, they see the cross. There ought to be something about your life and about my life that our children and our grandchildren and our neighbors and our loved ones and people that we work with on the job, that it only says one resounding thing, the cross. And that one thing will be the one thing that God will use to have a saving aspect to touch someone else's life. But honey, if they don't see no cross in us, they're never going to even look to his cross. If they see no sacrifice in us, they'll see no sacrifice Isaac Watts, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss, 
bore contempt on all my pride. With the whole realm of nature mine, there were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. A couple of illustrations and I close. The sacrifice. Used to preach quite a bit at a church for an elderly pastor that's in heaven now in North Carolina for many years. There was an elderly gentleman in his church that I noticed took care of the grounds. It was a big job. They had the parsonage, the fellowship building, the church, and a, a graveyard. I was curious about that and one day I stepped out of the RV and he was coming by just at the same time and he cut the motor off and we started talking, saying our pleasantries and so on. And I said, man, I noticed you do this work all the time and you do a great job. He said, well, preacher, there's a story behind that. I said, well, I want to hear it. He said, several years ago I had a massive heart attack. Long story short, he said, when I checked out of the hospital, the doctor told me, he said, now, only 30% of your heart's working, so please take care of it. He said, after a couple of weeks, I came back to church, and he said, when I went to, to go into the church, he said, I turned around and looked at the grounds, and he said, nothing wrong. Somebody had manicured them. They looked great. And he said, while I was looking, the Lord spoke to my heart. You ever had him speak to you about a sacrifice? And he said to me, I want you to take care of all this. He said, I argued with him. I said, Lord, wasn't you there when the doctor told me I only had 30% heart? Said he spoke to me and said, you take care of the grounds, I'll take care of the heart. And he said, all of these years, preacher, he said, no matter what day I'm out here pulling weeds or weed eating or mowing or push mowing, I'll tell you somewhere, somewhere on these grounds, the Lord shows up. Tears are flowing down. And he said, I get to worship in my sacrifice. Hallelujah. And the best place to worship is right in the middle of the heart of your sacrifice. As I told you, we've been in evangelism 20 years. I had pastored for 22. And when we went into evangelism for the first two or three years, my wife would come to me and she'd be weeping. I'd say, honey, what's wrong? She said, well, I don't have a purpose because at the church she played the piano. She was, worked with the youth choir and I was the assistant pastor. So that's the way that worked. She did it all. And she said, I really don't know what my purpose is. I can't find no meaning in this. Just going in and coming out. And I didn't want to give her just a uh, shallow answer. I didn't have anything to say. One day we were at the house and she was down in one of the rooms that she often did, had a keyboard down there and she'd go down there and play and sing and worship. She came upstairs she was crying, but it was a different type of tears. And she said, honey, I found out what my purpose is. I know what I'm supposed to do. I said, well, good, what is it? She said, the Lord just told me downstairs that all he wanted me to do is take care of you. I said, whoa. <laughs> I said, what room is that in? I'm going to go down there and thank him. I tell you, for the rest of those years, she's concentrated on one thing, to make sure I was ready to preach. I told somebody I was going to find a preacher's union and join it. You get broke ribs, that don't mean you don't preach. You just preach. Because if you don't preach, you don't get paid. I need a preacher's union. Anybody know where one's at? And she's always saying, no, you got to go preach. I said, well, I'm sick. She said, no, you ain't. I said, I am. I'm sick of preaching. I need some time off. (laughs) 
going to tell you those who get the most out of his sacrifice are those who have found out what their sacrifice is. It may be praying, it may be giving, it may be visiting, it may be preaching, it may be in music. But there's got to be one more sacrifice. He's on the right hand. He needs your hands, your eyes, your ears. But here's how I want to close. Too many here to move around, and so I'm not asking you to. But here's the thought that's on my heart. If Jesus is going to recognize his mother and get her attention, he's sharing his heart with her. There may be somebody pretty close to you that you realize that if you took them away from the beginning in your life, if there was no this person, you would not be who you are. Why don't we just, uh, my brother Daniel plays a little bit. Why don't we just reach over and hug that person and say thank you. And when I think about coming out of the, the livelihood that I came out of and how those folks loved me in spite, prayed for me, gave to me. Everything that I am is because of those who have sacrificed for his sacrifice in my time. Can we not say thank you, Mama? Thank you, Dad. Thank you, Preacher. Thank you for every song you've sung, every prayer you've prayed. Hey, can, can I say to you this morning? Thank you. If you weren't here, I wouldn't want to be here. Hug somebody's neck and tell them. Push pause for a moment and say thank you for all of those things that most folks don't know anything about that's been done for you. Thank you for the sacrifice. If there's somebody here that you'd like to just go and hug their neck and say thank you for the sacrifice. Love on them a little bit.